We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte! We're back! All right, everyone. Welcome to a... Another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we are recording live here on Twitter Spaces. I'm here with Brian. I'm here with Lee. And we are going to recap the exciting game between the Hornets and the Wizards. Also take any speaker request here in Twitter Spaces. Before we get to that, I have another Apple Podcast review to read from a username grifter9999 on Apple Podcast. He says, as a former season ticket holder who has relocated, I listen to this podcast to get all my Hornets news and opinions. So thank you so much for this review. And like we've mentioned before, we love to see you guys uh, write those things. And as they pop up on Apple Podcast, uh, we will definitely read them on the show. So keep on sending those in. Brian, how's everything going? You gearing up for Thanksgiving? Yeah, Thanksgiving and um, the middle of uh, you know college hoops is just in full flight. I like can't quite get control over it because there are just too many games going on. Um, I mean, Duke is playing literally right now against the Citadel um, in a game that I was not able to attend tonight in person in Durham. Um, but yeah, the Virginia is playing right now. I'm just, I've got my, the backlog. I just cannot get it under control. <laughs> I'm still trying to work my way through UNC and Tennessee from yesterday. Hopefully I'll finish that game up once I get off the, uh, once I get off this with you guys. Um, just did a big deep dive on Wake Forest the last couple of days, like what I'm seeing out of uh, Steve Forbes and crew in Winston-Salem. Um, and then I've been trying to get into some of the other draft prospects, like I watched Gonzaga couple games recently and uh, I've got an Arizona Michigan game also high in the queue right now to, to get to at some point so um, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving but I always get like a little anxious at this time of the year because there's a lot of like family obligations and you know familial obligations to take care of um, while I just fall further and further behind on basketball games that I don't necessarily need to keep up with every single one of them but no. really like find it I make it a priority to do so so um I'm doing well I'm excited and uh for the holiday and uh yeah how about you guys how about you Lee 
Oh, I'm good, man. I, I, I second the uh, synergy backlog that I probably yeah. won't be getting to this week, but uh, I, I will say on a, that's pretty cool. The, the Apple review that Richie just read, like I, I like the thought of, you know, I mean, Charlatans uh, or Hornets fans that have moved away from the state, kind of uh, leaning on Buzzbeat to to stay up with uh, with with the team. I, I I really appreciate that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Like I always say, there's always one guest speaker that I want as a goal, and I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way now with nice. Owen Watterson. Uh, but before we start oh. here, Owen, uh, you got to tell me your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, and then then you can go on with your question or comment. Go ahead. Uh, it has to be macaroni and cheese. I mean, there. I feel like all the other ones classic. can be very, very hit or miss. Right, right. It's a classic. You can't go wrong with mac and cheese unless it's made horribly wrong. Then it's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some examples of, like, bad macaroni and cheese that have been cooked. Like, I myself have not consumed any of it, but I've seen, like, you know, a, like a photo of some gross mac and cheese will go viral on Twitter yeah, or something yeah. like that. Um, but no, man, my family's macaroni and cheese, like casserole recipe, um, is so good. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm going to, I'll, you know what? Uh, I'll make it for you guys sometime. It's, it's now we're talking. Yeah. I'm, I'm a stuffing, I'm a stuffing and, and dressing type of guy, but oh, and go ahead with your, your question about the Hornets. Enough, enough talking about Thanksgiving here. Yeah. Okay, one more Thanksgiving question, uh, just because I don't know if this is a take or not. Uh, turkey's a little overrated to me, and then we can talk about Hornets. How do you guys feel Boot about em. that? Yeah. Boot them. Boot them yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm not, not going to take, take too much of y'all's time, but I did want to make it up to Richie for not requested last time. But, uh, man, how about the guts of Terry Rozier tonight? I mean, he started the season rough. He's had his moments here and there, but to see him – in the game like that, the Lamelo poke away on Montrez was incredible. I, I only caught the second half, but um, this team recently to see how they've bounced back after the tough what was a four game losing streak, um, it, it's been great. Homestand and now they're on the road. You know, they're, it's it's getting dicey towards the end the last few games here, but um, they're they're still finishing games out, which I think says something in and of itself. Yeah, this team is streaky. I think they've won four games or five games in a row, lost five games in a row. I think they've even, even had a stretch of three straight wins in a row. So it was good to get a win tonight on the road. And to your point, Owen, I think I wanted to start with Terry Rozier because there's been some games this season where he has been solid. Uh, but this feels like the first game that we've kind of been waiting on for that, like, quote unquote, Terry Rozier game where he just kind of goes off from behind the arc. And it felt like out of any game in this season this is the one and he came up big early on too when the Hornets were struggling to put points on the board uh, I yes. think they might have been down like 10 nothing 11 nothing he had back-to-back threes he had the first 11 of 16 points in this game and he even opened the second half with like a sidestep three but none bigger than that three-point shot with 13 seconds left to go huge shot and as Eric Collins always says, the uh, the guts of a cat burglar. So Tiro's year had very much a game that we're so accustomed to, and uh, I think we've been kind of waiting on a game like this. He had the kind of game that they paid him to get. I was just gonna say, um, it's a great it's a great point. Two points here about Terry. Number one. Like, we've often talked about the clutch play from the Charlotte Hornets over the last two seasons. And, uh, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you'll be very familiar with the fact that 
you know, t- Terry Rozier's late game shooting has, has been a massive component of that uh, positive uh, late game clutch play for the Charlotte Hornets. So again, tonight he hits just the massive, massive three to put the Hornets up five with 12 seconds to go in a game that kind of like started to feel like it was slipping away. If Rozier misses that shot, mm-hmm. that building, that building was starting to get a little bit alive. Like they, they were kind of feeling uh, the comeback there for a second. So just, you know, basically a game winning three by Terry Rozier. The other point is something me and BG were just talking about before we went live Rozier who like, this is going to sound a little hyperbolic, but has like legitimately become one of the one of the best efficient deep shooters on planet Earth, Earth over the last two years. High percentages from beyond the arc at massive volumes, and so far this year, believe it or not, the guy's shooting twenty five percent from three. So eight for eleven tonight. Um, me and BG were just kind of going back and forth b- before we kicked off, saying like. Essentially, you know, he's due for a week or two of just red hot shooting and fingers crossed. Like we saw that starting tonight, potentially from behind. Yeah, the um, this is just a rock solid road win. Washington is a very good team, like well coached. I love everything I've seen from Wes Unsell Jr. so far this season, what they're doing in the half court. Beal's been great. But even when Beal's been out, like, They've stepped up and, and I think played pretty well uh, at times. Um, they've got a two-headed downhill monster at the center position with Daniel Gafford and Montrezl Harrell. I love Daniel Gafford. Like he might be like he and Rashawn Holmes might be like my two favorite centers in the league that aren't like Jokic and Embiid. Like I just I love those guys. I love the way they play. I think they frustrated Gafford tonight. I would say. They, yeah, I mean everyone. I mean, I think everyone on the the Wizards was 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 ticked at some point in time, some more than others. But Harold was Harold was pissed. Beal was pissed. Uh, so was Gafford. And I, I mean, like, look, I don't think the referees had a had a stellar performance, but I think part of that is that like they kept expecting they kept expecting to push the Hornets over and topple them, and they got pretty darn close a couple of times. And Charlotte just kept making plays, and a lot of those plays came on the aforementioned Terry Rozier, his ability to hit big shots from a couple different levels of the court, the little wonky step back that he hit, the the pull-up three that he hit late, and then the middle ball had a stretch at the end of the first half, those, those two pull-up threes back-to-back, um, one off a little two-man game with Hayward. The other one was just like Washington's zone just didn't extend far yeah. enough, and he just was like, well, I guess I'll shoot it. But then also his activity with Mason Plumley before Plumlee fouled out like halfway through the fourth quarter, he got play met LaMelo hit a runner. Then Plumlee Plumlee uh, got a layup off a LaMelo pick and roll pass. And then another LaMelo pick and roll runner. All of those in the span of 90 seconds, basically from seven thirty three to five fifty five. those three possessions. Um, one of them, the first one was actually a, a, a Spain pick and roll possession, which they ran a lot of Spain tonight, probably like seven or eight, Spain possessions and got some good looks off of it. You're gonna have to do that when they drop that center down deep. When the opposing, yeah, yes, right. You, you have to right. have that it's, guy it, come out to the three point line. Yeah, it's a good counter versus drop. And when they played Washington and Charlotte last week, they also used Spain a fair amount. And that is, uh, I think it ended up with Miles Bridges sort of like catching it in the no man's land and pulling it out and shooting like a 
a step back three over Harrell that he bricked. And yeah, tough game shooting the ball for 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 Miles Bridges tonight. Not his best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really why they needed LaMelo and, and Terry to be um so good. But you know, it was it was interesting to see Charlotte's offense really the last five minutes of this game after Plumlee fouled out because and we've seen it a ton this year already. And it's cool that they can go to this stuff. But I'd be curious to gauge sort of y'all's um, where you are with this as a closing tactic and, you know, sort of if you think maybe they're like spamming it too hard uh, in these sort of like late game or leverage situations. But, I mean, it was just all two-man LaMelo and Hayward, two-man LaMelo and Bridges. And then they ran one Spain possession with 145 left in the game. But really the rest of it was just like either scramble situations or it was like LaMelo two-man with one of the big, you know, power wings from the roster, either Bridges or Hayward. And, like, that stuff works. It's guaranteed to get you probably at least a, a pretty good shot, if not a really good shot. You're less likely to turn the ball over, and that was something that was big for Charlotte in this game. Sub-9% turnover percentage, um, you know, in a game that was pretty tight, that matters a great deal. Um, you know, if you look at the four factors – they got hammered on the glass. You know, Washington pounded them, mm-hmm. 39% offensive rebound rate. Washington got to the line more frequently, 24% free throw rate. But Charlotte shot better, and they didn't turn it over as much or as frequently. So, um, but yeah, what do you guys think about, you know, it's really just the high volume of LaMelo, Hayward, LaMelo, Bridges, two-man action late in the game. Yeah, I think one thing with the Hornets, when they play with a lead, um, I have mentioned this before, when they're trying to kind of slow the clock and kill the clock, they're going to have to turn to something in the half court. And, and one thing that's always worked for them is Hayward as a screener or Bridges as a guy that can set a screen and roll to the basket for a lob. Uh, we have seen a lot at times where LaMelo will over dribble, kind of pound the rock a little bit to try to eat some of the clock and he has gotten better as a pull-up shooter this year, so you're seeing some of these shots from like 28-plus feet uh, where he's done a good job of making them. Uh, so it, it's a give and take, Brian. I don't think that they can use it as frequently, probably you know, kind of moving forward. I don't know what else they can kind of turn to, but I think where they are the best is when they're out in transition, but when you have a lead and you're trying to sit on it, who are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to Ball, you're going to turn to Hayward, you're going to turn to Bridges. And I think there's actually two huge baskets from the Hornets late in this game that I made a note of. Hayward hit a three-pointer to silence the crowd after Harrell hit a layup off the off a full-court pass from Beal. Yep. And then a couple possessions yep. later, Ball drives and gets the and-one over Kuzma to push the lead back yep. up to seven. Uh, yep. Both of these players, or both of these plays, I should say, came very timely. And, and like I said, from Ball, from Hayward, from Bridges. Bridges, not so much tonight. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a give and take. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are, yeah. Lee, in terms of the half-court offense late in the game. Just, just real quickly, both of those possessions that you just mentioned, Richie, the three from Hayward was two-man pick and roll with Rozier and Hayward. That's when it was a four-point game. Mm-hmm. Hayward gets what, like... Washington botches the pick and roll. Two guys go to Rozier. Hayward's wide open, splashes it. And then, yeah, it was a minute later, two-man game, LaMelo and Hayward. And that was when um, LaMelo got the switch with Kuzma, Kuzma and, then, yeah. and then grooved right by him for the, the layup plus the foul. Yeah, you know, Brian, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, kind of the theoretical conversation around, not theoretical, but kind of like 
theological conversation, I guess, around their, their late game strategy. I do think they are, I do think they're using it a bit too much. I do think that the, like, like I love it. Like, obviously it's, it's kind of the most consistent way, like you said, to find at least decent looks, at the basket laden games, match up hunting with Hayward bridges and mm-hmm. LaMelo. But I do think I've observed late in games, particularly when the Hornets are kind of like trying to nurse a small lead, mm-hmm. it just gets really stagnant. And it becomes four guys watching whoever has what they kind of deem as the best matchup. Like, I thought Bridges took a really bad step back late in the game against Harrell. Yes. Um, I, I think I think LaMelo has been way, way ahead of schedule uh, with his ability to abuse switches. Like, I thought that last year, he, he obviously had the huge N1 that Richie alluded to where he just – you know, he just picked on Kuzma and went right by him. Um, so, like, there are moments where it works, and it has to be probably kind of your most uh, used pitch, I think, late in the games. But I just – I think some more, like, deliberate set action, whether it's to get Bridges downhill, whether it's to, fr- like, like spring Rozier open to let him uncork one late in games, there's got to be a little bit more variance there. And and the only other thing I would say to kind of like support this is the clutch shooting is down from last year and from the year before. Uh, the field goal percentage in clutch games as defined by the NBA um, is, is below average right now. It's below league average. The three-point percentage in clutch games is defined by the NBA as well below average. Um, they've, they've still won their fair share of close games. But, uh, but I, I think it's a great point, and I think it's something we're going to have to kind of figure out late in games. And last little thing is, again, I mean, how many times do we bring this up? But PJ solves PJ solves some of this too when he can get yes. back and they can go to that. They can go to that PJ at the five line. Yeah. You took, I mean, you took, it was, it was literally the next thing I was going to say. Um, man, cannot wait to get that guy back. I know there was some hope this time a week ago that maybe he could have uh, played uh, during, for this for the Saturday game at Atlanta, and that didn't happen. And you know, I guess I mean I'm, I'd rather take it take a cautious approach with PJ. Um, he's such a good, important young player, but you just can't wait to get this guy back because he can allow you to like if you want to do this matchup stuff down the stretch. PJ is another weapon for you there for sure. Um, either as the guy that you can use as a screener who can then score and he can make plays on the short roll or post the switch. Um, but also just if the opponent has a rim protector out there, PJ's going to be able to pull him away from the hoop. So then if you are playing two-man with, you know, LaMelo and Miles or LaMelo and Hayward, well, then you just get the floor spaced, you know, really nicely while, while not having to completely, you know, downsize and not have at least a, you know, part-time center on the court. Um, PJ is so good and he solves just a lot of that for them when he can get back and, uh, and play. And to be clear, like, I don't even think like this sort of this like macro issue is even something that is like, it's obviously not specific to just the Hornets. I think there are a lot of teams, really, really good teams, teams that win playoff series and you know, the last handful of years, like this is a philosophical thing they have to think about too. It's great that Charlotte can do it. And I like getting LaMelo those reps, even if he is frequently the guy that's like passing off to the bigger player for them to go attack the advantage. But it's not like you have like, you know, it's like, it's cool to play matchup basketball, but it's also like as good as some of these guys are, 
you know, this is not LeBron. Like you don't have, you know, Durant. It's not Steph. Like it's not Harden. Like you, they, these are very, very good players. And some of them are very young and it's cool for them to get those reps. But it's like, you know, you're, you're pressing this one button in, in largely, I think getting mostly good results, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think a little bit more, diversity and a little bit more like this is such a good playbook and they have pieces that fit inside the concepts. And so you'd like to see maybe a, you know, a a little bit more, you know, spice to it, but um, it worked enough down the stretch. And like those guys made like all of those dudes made plays um, with maybe like, you know, just one of those games for bridges where he just, he, he didn't have it tonight, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely an off night shooting from, from MB. They tried the small ball with him a couple times, uh, once yeah. in the second quarter and once in the fourth quarter. Uh, we noticed, you know, against against teams just in general, but definitely when they go small, they've got to be more aware of the offensive rebounds. And I think Montrez was probably the best player for the Wizards tonight in terms of his energy and just leading to those second chance points. I've talked about this before with the Wizards the last time that they played each other. I guess it was last Wednesday. The zone really sparked the run. Uh, and the reasoning behind it makes sense because the yes. Wizards aren't a good three-point shooting team. Uh, the Hornets like playing small. And if you're not there with a the traditional center, you might have to play zone to kind of match up down low. But like I said, Montrez was the best player tonight for the Wizards. And a lot of it was due to his hustle on the boards. So I think that there's some mixed results tonight with that zone. I think overall, for the season, as they've been playing a little bit more of it semi-recently, they've been like a top-five team when it comes to zone defense. But tonight... Even though they forced some shots from the Wizards that they missed from behind the arc, it also ended up with some second-chance points. I almost yeah. wish they would have played Nick Richards a little bit more, especially when Plumley picked up his fourth and fifth foul. I, I think he played good tonight. He was he was actually pushing around Montrez uh, for offensive rebounds and on the defensive side of the court as well. And he had a really, really good uh, vertical contested shot there, I think, in the first half where I think it might go unnoticed by most. So I kind of wish Richards played a little bit more tonight. I think he had like eight or nine minutes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was wondering when Plumley got a six foul, what they, like, I was like, I'm pretty sure they're going to go small, small here, but there, it did enter my mind. Like, what you know, Nick Nick played pretty well in the first half, like, you know, and, the you know, Harold's, you know, Harold or Gafford are both pounding them on the boards or at the rim right now. I mean, that that really is a dynamic center combination that you know and they, you know eric brought eric collins brought this up during the broadcast like they don't even have thomas bryant but like man they got a great right. center rotation and like harold is just an incredible floor raiser for a bench offense it's it's incredible it's yes. like he doesn't really need the like 
you run plays for him, but the plays are spread pick and roll. So it helps everyone else eat off of it. And then he just mauls people on the glass. Like he's just, it's incredible. The guy just, he floats around the league and everywhere you go, you just build awesome bench offenses around this guy. Like it happened in Houston, happened in LA. It's happening in, in Washington again, just a really impressive player. I thought I do want to just say real quickly, like, you know, Mason Plumley. You know, and some he had, there were a couple defensive possessions of this game where you know he'll do he'll do something that just makes you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> um, obviously, like the finishing at times is not ideal, but like he did some good stuff in this game too. He had a he had at least one block on Gafford in the first half where it was like, mm-hmm. man, it takes some courage to stay like when Daniel Gafford is like trying to assault the rim, um, <laughs> and, and you know you decide like, yeah, you know what, I I will get in the way of this. That's like. I mean, that's a, that's not an easy decision to make. I just thought Plumley did just enough, and I thought before he fouled out, so he there was some good pick-and-roll two-man game with he and LaMelo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Plumley's one of those guys that I feel like largely goes, when he plays decent or whatever, it largely goes forgotten or unnoticed. And then it's just like when he plays poorly, then then it's like very easy to like, to like bang on him, but I, I thought Plumley played. I thought both of the, like the true centers on the roster like played okay Great. tonight for Charlotte. Great. Yeah, it, it was it was a really interesting kind of thing to watch unfold because it honestly felt like JB just kind of went with the went with the bridges at the five lineup, obviously with the close, but also like electing to go to it a couple times in the second half rather than Trot Richards back out there. It was almost like he was just – and he and frankly, he did this in the first Wizards game too because if you remember the first Wizards game, which was only like a week and a half ago, I guess, that was when we saw the small ball bridges at the five lineup make that massive run in the third Correct. quarter that blew the game open. Yeah. And – and, and the Wizards couldn't really do anything offensively in, in that game in the second half either besides Montrez Harrell offensive rebound putback. So, like, it's almost like JB has just made this calculated trade-off to say, For sure. yeah, Harrell's going to punish us, but, like, we're going to be so spread on offense – Bridges is going to pull him out away from the rim on the defensive end. We're going to get out in transition. We're going to be creative. We're going to move the ball. We're going to get great shot, great shots. And our offense is going to be efficient enough. And and kind of our like small ball pesky defense mixed in with the matchup zone is going to be enough to beat these guys. And they've done it twice. So, Although I agree, and you guys know I've been kind of a big Richards proponent, I think he's developed nicely, although – there is one thing that he has got to get better at. When when opponents are dribble driving towards the rim, he is not good yet at discerning like when it's appropriate to go for the help side block and when it's not. Yeah. He, he just yeah. flails sometimes for these help side blocks and leaves a guy like Gafford or Montrell's Harrell with a freaking runway to just go get yeah. an offensive rebound slam in. And that happened like twice tonight. So – uh, again, like I'm a Richards guy. I think he's been awesome. Um, he, he brings some unique qualities to this team that we, that we, that we don't have other than himself on this roster. And he's been, and he's, and he's provided and contributed meaningful minutes in, in a lot of great wins this year, but, and, and he's a young center. And that's something that's probably like fairly fixable. The coaching staff is just going to have to sit him down, whether it's in film or whether it's in practice, um, just getting him to understand when it's appropriate to go for a block and when he needs to just block his guy the heck out 
and yeah. and and like when a dribble driver is reasonably well defended, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to at least make a some moderately difficult shot around the rim. You've got to stay at home and you've got to block your guy out. Those best defensive big guys are like so good at those like those being in two places at one. Yes, space yes. decisions. We talk about it so much in the pick and roll usually. Like the guys that play to the level of the screen and then can drop and like be in space. I mean, like, yeah, Anthony Davis is awesome at this. Bam out of bio is great. I mean, Bam does everything well defensively. He's ridiculous. But like, this is just another version of that of like when to commit, you know, you know, again, trying to like, trying to, you know, be able to contest, but also not leave your guy too early. Like, it, it's tough. But I do think um, as far as like Richards goes, it's like, They've squeezed more out of him this year than I thought they were going to already, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. Charlotte's played, uh, you know, what, 19, 19, games. 19 games? Yeah. You know, they're a quarter of the way through the season, um, and, I, and I feel like they've already gotten, like, some some positive value out of him. And I think you're at the point now where – I was talking about this with Spencer a couple weeks ago, just like – you know, like I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not at the point yet where I'm like sold on Nick Richards as like a rotation piece yet. But like, can he like be on an NBA roster for for a long time? Like, I think I think we're trending in that direction. And if things, you know, another uh, another year of development, another year of some, you know, you know, hammering home some of these defensive principles, and then now all of a sudden you might be thinking about Nick Richards as, um, you know, a backup center rotation piece, and like. You know, if Charlotte is able to draft him and then two years later mold him into that, they get some credit, and I probably got to eat a little bit of crow because I, you know, I didn't, I criticized that pick when it happened. Um, but, uh, but, but Richards is like trending; he's just trending in the right direction, I, I think. And um, you know, I'm a little disappointed that we have not gotten to see, you know, anything of like you know real minutes for Vernon Carey at, at really at any point except for a glimmer late last season. But yeah, like you know, Richards has clearly usurped him in the 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 higher the center rotation hierarchy, and uh, good for good for Richards to do this now because when PJ comes back, assuming everyone stays healthy, it's like these minutes are going to go away. You know, like the like you mean maybe 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 Richards will get some here and yeah. there, and you know you can give you know Plumlee a breather or someone else gets hurt, whatever. But like. Like when BJ comes back, like yeah, you know, Nick Richards is not going to be in the rotation. I don't, I don't think. Um, Agreed. I, you know, I could be wrong about that, but I, I don't. I just he his minutes are so like fleet. I mean, he's playing every night, but you know, it's usually relegated to only X number of minutes in the first half. And yeah, when PJ comes back, like he's got he's just got to play, and he's your backup center. I guess the only reason I mentioned why I thought that Nick Richards should play tonight, especially when Mason went out, was because Miles Bridges was not playing that great. Uh, yes. So to insert him back in as the small ball. Not not that Miles Bridges wouldn't close this game. I, I still wanted him to close the game. But just at that point in the game, I thought maybe Nick Richards could bring something uh, physically. All right, we are going to end with a listener question. I had posed this on my Twitter account probably like two or three weeks ago. Probably got like eight or nine questions, and we've probably touched upon three or four of these, uh, so we still have more to go, and I want to get to one more and knock it off the list here. This is from Alec on Twitter. It's at ha 0522 What's the next step for LaMelo's half-court creation? Uh, so we'll end the episode on this. 
I think, well, first off, I don't know if he's referring to creation for others or creation for himself, uh, but I'm going to lean towards self-creation because in my opinion, that's probably the biggest area that I think that he can improve upon. I think with LaMelo, the biggest thing will have to be rim finishing or developing a mid-range shot that's not a floater. Uh, both of those things, I feel like, have regressed a little bit this season when it comes to the numbers. I, I think the floaters are a real weapon. I, I really do. But I think when teams start to sag off of them in the pick-and-roll situation, especially when Plumley is the roller, uh, he's going to have some space to make a decision, and he's got to be decisive with what he wants to do. So I, I think a mid-range shot would do wonders for his game. But if that's not going to be there, he's got to get a little bit better around the rim. I think overall, offensively, you've seen some jumps from him as a kind of pull-up shooter for himself, despite some like ill-advised shots and some 28-plus foot feet shots. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess if I had to point to one thing, it would be the rim finishing or an actual pull-up mid-range jumper. And one thing, like I said, like I noticed in this game, with the drop and with Plumlee, you sometimes get caught in two minds, like in terms of, do I want to lob it? Do I want to finish it? Do I want to pull up from mid-range? He just needs to make sure that he is decisive. And I think as the actually the game progressed against the Wizards tonight, he was more decisive. So he kind of gets in those zones where he can rattle off like 10 straight points and a couple assists here and there. But I feel like in the first couple of quarters in this game, he was not as decisive. So I'll say that for his self-creation, he needs to get better at the rim or maybe as a mid-range pull-up jumper. Yeah, Richie, you said the the key word uh, for me here when you said he needs to be more decisive. Um, mm -hmm. That's literally what I had written down. Um, it's that it's really when he gets into the situations in spread pick and roll, and knowing this that like you know he's not getting to play with like an ideal pick and roll partner, right? Because like you know Plumlee can do some things. Cody could do some things last year, but it's like he's not getting to run spread pick and roll with Anthony Davis, right? Or, you know, or, or Bam or whatever, or Giannis or whatever. So it's like he, it, he doesn't have like a, you know, a real, real gravity or even, the, you know, Rashawn Holmes, Daniel Gafford type. But I would like for him to be more, I would like for him to be stronger and more decisive with the basketball. I'd like for him to use his body more. Now, a lot of that, is also going to be contingent on him getting stronger, which is something we've talked about plenty of times. It'll help him as a point of attack defender. It'll help him driving to the lane. He'll be better against switches. He'll be able to finish through more contact. Um, it'll make him more durable, uh, which I think is important as well. So for LaMelo, it's getting stronger, and it's being more physical and decisive with the basketball at those pick-and-roll mesh points. And being able to obviously then get downhill and get all the way to the rim because as good as he is at shooting those, you know, those runners and those floaters and those just weird, you know, uh, moon ball trick shots of his, <laughs> as, and he makes them at like a pretty good clip. Like, you know, it's somewhere in the, you know, high forties or whatever, low fifties, but like, you know what, you, you know, you know what you make more than that are layups. And, and getting to the free throw line more. And so that's where I think being more decisive, being more explosive than being stronger with the basketball. I think that's really where it, it, it like the next, I mean, it's like obviously where like the next step is for him. Um, in, in my, in my opinion, at least. 
Yeah, you guys covered it, so I'll, I'll keep this real short. It's a good question. Um, yes. I'll just provide a little bit of numbers here to both your points about the rim finishing. Um, last year, per cleaning the glass, he was 126 for 234 at the rim, 54%, which is 27th percentile. Uh, this year, LaMelo Ball, again on cleaning glasses, 41 for 79 at the rim. Again, 52%, 29th percentile. So oh, okay. that really is kind of the one place in his game that, that is that is be- below average from an efficiency standpoint. The mid-range stuff is not great, but it's also like right at average. Um, all, all the floater and, and runner stuff you guys spoke about. And then I guess the only little thing I would add that was kind of alluded to, but just to put a finer point on it, like – he scares the death out of me sometimes when he gets up in the air and loses control and, yeah. and the feet come out from under him and he falls on his kind of frail body. Yes. Um, like I love the fearlessness. I, I, you know, he's, I think he's more athletic than he gets credit for. I mean, he, he pretty much dunked over Daniel Gaffert tonight after splitting a, splitting yeah. a screen and you're starting to see. That was sick. That was, it was, sick. It was probably the, yeah. Was besides sick. Rozier's shot, that might've been like the play of the night, but yeah. You know, like he is finishing over people athletically more than he was even last year. So I think like LaMelo dunking over top of rotating defenders is going to be like something that becomes fairly commonplace in the next five years. Um, I just need him to protect himself a little bit more. Um, and then very, very last point, underrated improvement from LaMelo this year, 93% from the free throw line so far. Yeah. Last comment question from Robus Pierre Mill two on Twitter here. What's your What's your thought? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about uh, some of your critiques about Lamelo uh, that I heard. I tuned in maybe about ten minutes ago, and I think we're losing track of the fact that he just turned twenty years old. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, if he's not on this team, there are locked and loaded for the lottery. Yeah. They're looking at more than likely a top 10 lottery pick. Right now, Gordon Hayward doesn't have it. I know that Mitch and Michael Jordan, whoever else, they have to be regretting that contract. Uh, It seems as if Terry Rozier has finally gotten the wake-up call and he's starting to make his shots. But for both of them, if they're not scoring, they're not affecting the game. They're not impacting the game in a, in a positive way. Now, I was just looking at Miles Bridges' uh, stats recently, and he went from shooting nine times or less than nine times per game to shooting nearly 18 times this game. Now, I've seen contract years before, but this is something different entirely. And I love Miles, but uh, I think there was a play down the stretch where he received the ball at the top of the key, right, and instead of being decisive with it or passing it around. And I don't even mind the shot, but he stood there pensive like he was Kobe Bryant, must have taken at least five shots, uh, seconds, and then took a shot. I'm, I'm noticing that there are certain players who are playing for wins, but they're also playing for themselves. Miles for the bag, Bozier to, I guess, maintain his position, uh, justify his extension, and then Gordon Hayward still thinks that this is his team. Now, he should have gotten the message within the last week or so, that that's not the case anymore. But, you know, LaMelo is doing things 
on a night-to-night basis where he's making plays, making plays that aren't there mm-hmm. for the average player or even the replacement-level player, okay? So I think what he does should be appreciated. It should be complimented. But some of the other areas that need improvement, I think we acknowledge them, but he's not going to be perfect. There hasn't been a 20-year-old player since when? LeBron, who's been this impactful on a team that had a chance to make the playoffs. And that's almost 20 years ago. So I want to leave you guys with that to put, make sure you put all of this into context. You're dealing with something very special from this kid. No, we would we would agree. We would agree. And yeah, I, I think the yeah. question was, what's his next step in his half-court creation? So we kind of laid out some room for improvement for him. Uh, yeah, he is well ahead of his years, like 20 yeah, years he, old. Yeah, he's awesome. He should be. He should make the All-Star game this year. Like he, He's incredible. He just had arguably the greatest age 19 season in the history of basketball. Yes, I mean, he is, he is everything for this franchise. There's absolutely... No doubt about that. It's just like, what's the next step for LaMelo as not just a guy that you can build a, a, a team around, but also a guy that can maybe win you some playoff series and, and really be, become, you know, perhaps at some point in his career, a top 10 player in the league. And like, if he's going to do that, he's got to get better at getting into the paint and getting to the rim. I mean, he's already good at it, but it's like, wh- what makes this guy one of the best players in the world? Like he's close. It's just there's gonna he needs to get stronger. He needs to get better at getting into the paint, finishing around contact. That's gonna make everything else easier for him because as Lee noted, he's a great free throw shooter. Now obviously his passing is otherworldly. I do wanna shut down real quickly, like the notion that hey, Miles Bridges oh. well for well that, but also that like Miles Bridges is out here playing for a, a bag. Like, I mean, like it is a contract year. He's been awesome. He's earned himself a lot of money. But, like, I don't think Miles Bridges gives a rip that he missed however many shots tonight. Like, that that dude is about wins and losses. He goes out there, he guards one through five. He started the game guarding Bradley Beal, and he closed it guarding Montrezl Harrell. He defends every position. He fights his ass off. He goes to work on the glass. Like, he, he is an absolute tank for this team. And Brian, and like, just to just to support your point that you're making, he also like happily came off the bench all of last season yeah. in an incredible kind of supporting role. So yes, yeah, just yes. wanted to support that point a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And like even when even when Jalen Brown dunked all over him, you know, last month when they played Boston, when Miles tried to block uh, Brown's dunk, he was like, "Look, I'm always going to try to block that shot. Like I don't care that he dunked on me." He tweeted that out after the game, and it's like. That's the mentality. That's exactly the mentality. Not just of like a, a guy that could maybe be a, a star or a sidekick on a 50-win team to LaMelo, but like that's a guy that just like, yeah, you just want someone like that on your team. Like You want every player on your roster to have that type of mentality. I think Bridges has it. He's fearless. He works hard. He's he just, yeah, he's not going to back down from a challenge. And like Charlotte throws a lot of stuff at him, especially with P.J. out. They put a lot on Miles' plate. Um, and he's handled it for the most part, even when he has a rough shooting night. And, like, look, Gordon Hayward as, like, you know, an all-star, yeah, those days are those days are done. It's not, you know, it's not 2015 in Utah anymore. Like, we, we've passed that point. Uh, we passed it a long time ago. But, like, Gordon Hayward's still a really, really good offensive player. Um, he really doesn't have that many off-shooting nights, but even when he does, his ability to pass – his ability to screen and his ability to take away 
another top flight wing defender away from LaMelo or from Miles Bridges matters. It matters a lot. Teams still have to put good defenders on Gordon Hayward. And when he screens for LaMelo, it still causes the defense to react. Um, Hayward is still a very good, very, very good and very competent offensive player. He shoots it from every level. He passes it from every level. And because of his size and his frame, his ability to do what I just laid out, score from and pass from all those levels, he's going to draw attention away from guys like Bridges and Ball, and that matters. Teams still have to put good defenders on him. If not, Charlotte's going to pick on that matchup. All that stuff does matter too, Brian, but I think the intangibles as well as having a mature guy on the court, having a calming presence, they use that term a lot. I think that is needed for a young team to have a player that you can turn to in the half court, have a player that can calm things down when the opposing team has a run, just like he made a three tonight uh, when the Wizards got in within like four points in that fourth quarter. So that's the one thing that I would push back on Gordon Hayward a little bit. Yes, he's lost a step. Yes, he's not as athletic as he once was. Maybe he's a little bit overpaid, but I think he's really, really needed for this team even if he's not having the greatest of shooting nights, night in and night out. I think there's some intangible stuff as well. Last thing I want to mention in on Bridges too, I think we've seen some other actual like bona fide true superstars in this league that play in the front court. You know, they play four, four and a half or three and a half or whatever. And those guys have been reluctant to be rim runners, right? Like we've seen this like until last year with Giannis, or we've seen this with Anthony Davis before in the past. Miles Bridges is more than happy to, for you to dial up a, a, a pick-and-roll possession where he screens and dive bombs to the hoop. He, he, he plays so hard on that action. Like the screen, the dive, the transitioning, the shifting of his weight from screen or slip to getting downhill, he is so explosive in those, in that, in, in those instances, basically taking on a task that a lot of guys that I think see themselves as superstars that are non-centers or are, you know, center adjacent players have not necessarily been thrilled about doing. And Miles happily takes that task on. And it's a huge piece for the Charlotte offense because without PJ um, late games, it can be tough for them to get North South in the pick and roll because Plumlee is not always playable in those scenarios and so you need bridges as a guy to give you some rim pressure and he's willing to do it as a dive man of the pick and roll too again i think that's like a pretty selfless another pretty selfless aspect of bridges game that he's willing to do that for the team yeah no i'm glad i'm glad bg uh tackled a couple of those comments because i was certainly going to do it myself i mean i i very much appreciate uh anyone that engages with us um, but I don't think anyone who's familiar with this podcast would uh, mix up the fact that we're not a- afraid to share our opinions right back as well. So it's all it's all in good Hornets banter. Um, yeah, but sure. you know, I think I think the Hornets uh, regretting uh, the Hayward contract is is incorrect. Now, if if Hayward were to to as, and I'm literally knocking on wood as I say this, if he was to go down with an injury at some point. And this season, maybe we're having a different conversation. But at this point, you know, Hayward is one of one of the top, probably three most important players in this roster that is that is pushing towards the playoffs here. So, yeah, th- those are those are kind of my final thoughts. Really appreciate everybody uh, listening to us. Good Hornets win recap, and uh, always good on, to, always good to be on with you, boys. Yeah, thanks again for everyone here in Twitter Spaces. Thanks to Robus Pierre and Owen for speaking up. 
I'm not sure if we'll have another episode this week with it being Thanksgiving week, so enjoy some time off. Enjoy some time with the family. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but go go look at the next three games for the Hornets. Uh, it could be some good news for <laughs> for Charlotte. So, again, if you guys would like to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate that. For Brian, for Lee, I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.